Welcome to Let's Talk with Marco Campiani and Ezekiel Cuti. I am your host, Marco Campiani. I'm your co-host, Ezekiel Kutin. And thank you for tuning in to episode 7. Is it episode 7 or eight? Episode 7 of Let's Talk with Easy and Marco. Um, today we have a very special guest. Uh, it's my dad, uh, know, also known as Pato Campiani to most. Um, I invited my dad uh, for one reason, which is... Uh, my pitch to him to to talk on it was my pitch to him to talk on our show and that reason is because my dad is 51 and 52 and (laughs) um and he's gotten to a point in his career where i would say that he has a the dream job he's he's a he's a uh, what do you what's your title leadership consultant is that personal consultant uh, leadership consultant L- yes. leadership consultant so when I say dream job I don't necessarily mean the leadership consultant part but he runs his own uh, independent consulting firm where he works for himself and he has uh, other people that work uh, with him and for him like independently almost as like freelance uh, uh, freelance consultants which and like he's gotten to this point where he can choose when he works he chooses uh his vacations he he has the freedom to do that's so what i like to imagine that <laughs> I, I can choose when i work i end up working all the time yeah. <laughs> so that's a story i tell you <laughs> well yeah obviously he obviously like you you know what i mean by that but for for the most part you you don't have anybody telling you what to do like old like just my fears yeah <laughs> you better get your ass into your office and work <laughs> <laughs> exactly um and it's it's taken him a long time it's it's been about 34 years since he graduated high school and and i want him to share his story i feel like uh insight from anybody his age who's who's been through uh a lot uh sharing their experience i think that's extremely beneficial um, so I want to give it off to him to tell his story. Um, take it away, Dad. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, guys, for having me here. Um, I feel very honored. Thank you. Um, so I, I think, you know, a couple of weeks ago, Marco, when you told me you'd like to invite me, um, you, I, I was listening to one of your podcasts, and, and you were talking about kind of the boxes in which we live right meaning the the sets of beliefs the mental frames the paradigms in which we live right um so i'm going to start talking a little bit about those boxes because in a way whatever we do in life when we start at early ages like you guys are starting um we're starting with a certain set of beliefs and a paradigm right and those beliefs and those paradigms are set by our culture our parents our you know, uh, the, the environment we live in. Um, and, you know, g- growing up in, in my family culture, uh, it was a very disciplined, you know, work ethics, achievement-oriented. Uh, there's one path you have to follow uh, to be, you know, an acceptable 
human being in a way. There was just one box and I shared a few of the stories with you. So for example, uh, finishing high school and deciding to take a gap year to travel Europe and just have an experience of, you know, exploring the world. And um, my dad said to me, that's impossible. You won't do that. You're going to start university. <laughs> and what was funny is a couple of years ago, I had this conversation with my dad. I asked him if he remembered and he started laughing and he said, yes, I do remember. And he said, what a stupid thing to say to you. It wouldn't have made any difference. <laughs> 30 years later, it wouldn't have made any difference if you just started university or it took a year off. But the belief was you can't waste time. You can't waste time. Um, when you told me you were going to take a gap year, a, a gap semester, I kind of freaked out. How, how was that conversation? Why don't you describe it? Um, it, I mean, it wasn't horrible, but it was very like, you guys were like, okay, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. Like so I didn't it, learn much, huh? <laughs> it was, it was, it was kind of like you guys weren't sure if that was like just me being like rash or like just me not thinking things through. Um, but I seemed, but I was pretty confident in why I thought that was a good idea. So, um. You, and you guys always hear me out. So, I mean, uh, apart from the initial reaction, I think it, like you, you, ch you adopted, you were able to understand and adopt my perspective pretty quickly. Yeah. And, you know, I remember having to face the fears of that box, that way of thinking. He's going to waste time, you know? So, you know, this is just to say those boxes that our belief systems have a lot of power over us, a lot of power over us. And, and they really um, condition how we decide things and, and what we do. So then uh, an, another one of these boxes was when I was choosing what to study. Uh, I remember having a conversation with my dad and, and he said, so what, what do you want to study in university? And I said, I want to study hotel management. And he said, there's no way you're going to study hotel management. That's not a real career. He said, he, he kind, of, kind of insulted me. <laughs> he said, that's not a career. He said, <laughs> what did he say? Yeah, 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 yeah. He sweared at me, of course. Yeah, he, he had a very, uh, he, he, he had the ability to make himself very clear when he disagreed <laughs> with things. So, and he, you know, he... In, in that time, you would go through a uh, kind of a test of your abilities, and I had good abilities for for sciences, maths, physics, etc. So he said, "You're going to be an engineer. That's where you're going to be. You're going to be an engineer." So I became an engineer, and um, which was great because I got to meet your mom in engineering school. It wouldn't have happened if I had studied hotel management. Uh, and I guess I wanted to study hotel management because I just loved hotels. I wanted to live in a hotel. You know, I, I dreamt of just traveling the world and living in hotels. <laughs> so um, I'm currently an engineering student right now. And uh, 
you know i i like the whole engineering aspect and i think it's it's a different way of looking at certain things like a whole problem solving like kind of um mindset but how i i just want to know how did you get from engineering school to what you're doing right now so uh thank you easy for that question uh, you know i I think engineering school, as I would imagine many other careers, uh, train your mind in a way, right? They, they train you to, to be able to think deeper, to be able to analyze situations. I imagine it's the same with literature. You study literature and you start seeing how you could use words and stories. And um, so I think it really trains your mind. And then that training can be applied to many different fields. So, um, I, I never worked as an engineer, n not one day in my life. That's interesting. So you went to, you, did you get like an engineering degree? Yeah. You got an engineering degree, but not once did you work as an actual engineer? Not once. Wow. Um, and what was your first job out of college and how did you get that job? And what did your mom uh, have to say about that? <laughs> what did my mom <laughs> no it wasn't out of college it was while i was in college while you were in college yeah yeah so while i was in college i i i grew up in a family that was well off and um i wasn't asked to you know to to work while i was a student or anything and and i had this kind of feeling that i wanted to be i, I wanted to go out and work and and, and uh, explore uh you know working and so i applied uh, to a job at Citibank and I became a, a teller um, and it was a time where you know you, you didn't have online banking so everything had to be done in the banks banks were full of people I mean there were crowds of people literally crowds of people in banks um, and I was in front of people you know for many hours stamping documents paying them whatever they needed to be paid receiving their money and um, and it was a lot of fun. I, I, I really enjoyed um, being, being a teller at Citibank. And I remember uh, the summer came and, and, and we would always go away with the family on our summer vacations. And my mom says to me, oh, we're going to go to, you know, the beach area where we always go in Uruguay, Punta del Este. She said, we're going to Punta del Este. Uh, we're leaving this day and you're coming with us. And I said, no, no, I don't have vacations. I'm, I'm working now. I, I'll have vacations in a year and they'll give me like two weeks a year. So that's it. And my mom said, no, no, that's impossible. You have to talk to your manager. <laughs> you have to talk to your manager. Uh, and she says, no, no, I know the president of Citibank. I mean, she had, I think she had gone to school and the, pre the, the guy who was president of Citibank was in the same school. I'll call him out. And I said, mom, <laughs> forget it. You're not going to talk to anybody. <laughs> I'm not taking vacations. And then she said, so then you have to leave your job. I'll pay you the same salary they pay you. <laughs> uh, that was a very funny conversation. I remember very, very funny conversation. So I stayed working as a teller. And then um, when I finished university, um, I, was, uh, I, I, I was hired in a, in a training program in Citibank. Um, and after about two years, uh, I became a branch manager. So when I was you know, about 25, 24, 25, I was a branch manager um, in, a, in, a, in a branch that was 
in a remote area of Argentina, I would say in Patagonia. And, and it, that was a great experience. And, and when you've told me that story, um, you told me that you had like an interesting experience because you were a manager at 25 managing people that were yeah. much older than you. So what, what was like the process of sort of gaining respect and, and managing these people? So, so the process was a process of many mistakes. Um, I thought that I would gain their respect if I showed up as knowing a lot. So first mistake, imagine that you're 25, you're going to go lead a branch that has about 35 employees. Um, they've been working in banks for many, many years. Most of them knew much more than I did. I had been a teller, then I had been trained for two years. I had never been a manager. Um, um, there were people working there that were, you know, the age of my parents and suddenly I, were, I was their manager. It was a very strange feeling. And the, the first mistake I made was to think that I had to show them that I knew a lot and that I was there because I was, I was really good at something. And so then I came across as, as, as very arrogant. I came across as very arrogant. And um, of course, they made me realize that very fast. And it didn't go well at the beginning. Um, and uh, they gave me a lot of feedback. So the bank had mechanisms to, you know, to support you in your in your professional development. And and I got a lot of feedback, and and it was it was quite painful feedback. So they would tell me that I would never listen to them, that um, I wouldn't have normal conversations with them. I would always talk about work. I would always, uh, you know, I didn't connect with them as a human being. Um, and that was because of my fear of, you know, I, I had to show up as, as being on it, as, you know, being on the ball all the time. So that process, uh, that was a great learning process. It was, it was intense and it was a great learning process. And in that experience, I, I was doing well in Citibank. I was doing very well. Uh, but I realized I did not want to work for a corporation. Um, corporate life is is very structured and it has a few paths. Each corporation has a few paths and, and, and that's kind of the area in which you can play your professional life out. And, and I looked at those paths and uh, I would look at the folks that were, you know, many years ahead of me and where they had arrived in their paths, and, and I thought it wouldn't be fun. I, I, I felt my creativity, my you know joy for doing fun things would not find a place there. So, so I decided to leave. I decided to become an entrepreneur. Uh, an entrepreneur for what exactly? Like. When when you left uh, Citibank, what what did you start doing, or were you just like freelancing anything? I I was, I had the dream of. I, I wasn't clear what I was gonna do. My dream was to do something, that, gave me freedom and that was mine. That was my dream. If it was only owning a, pizza stand, where I was the owner of my time. Even if I had to clean up the place, I would be very excited to do that. So, so that was kind of my mindset. It wasn't, um, 
it wasn't that I left because I had this one idea that I was passionate about and y you know it's I just want to go out there and, and do something with a lot of freedom that that was I remember um, I, I was going I, I, I really liked a, a retail uh, chain or retail store that that I had seen in the US what was the name I, I'll remember it in any moment now but this this really cool retail store and I wrote a letter to them saying hey I want to represent you guys in Argentina I want to open your retail chain here and um, and they never answered to me they, they didn't take me seriously um, so so then uh, I, I you know I was already dating uh, your mom and and we had an idea we we we, we saw a line of products um, kind of growing your own uh, a, a line let's say of gardening products and growing plants from seeds and uh, you know growing your own plants type products uh, in the US and we thought it was a really cool line of products that didn't exist in Argentina and we started importing that we we contacted the company we became a supplier for them an importer and um, you know three months after leaving Citibank uh, I remember sitting in a minivan uh, packed with boxes um, going to deliver in one of the supermarket chains and that day I delivered in three supermarket chains uh, you know tens of thousands of dollars of product and I was super excited um, I remember just putting my van into into the dock in the supermarket and a guy saying okay what are you delivering I would show him purchase order and he said okay drop the boxes here and then I went home and you know we would import we would relabel we had to relabel everything to be compliant with Argentinian regulations repack relabel I mean it was like we would work in my garage in my mom's garage at night relabeling doing everything the next day back in the van delivering to other supermarkets um, so that that became my life uh, for some time and then I mean, uh, the, the, as, as an entrepreneur, I tried many different things. So I won't walk you through each of them because it, it may become a little long and, and not very interesting. Then something happened, which was um, Argentina is a beef producer. And it produces very good quality grass-fed beef. And Argentine beef had been banned in the U.S. for 70 years. And that was about to change. My family had been in the beef business, so um, with one of my uncles, he, uh, he had the idea. He said, hey, we want to open an office in the U.S. Um, would you uh, go and open our office to import Argentinian beef uh, and distribute it in the U.S.? Um, and I, I loved the idea to have an experience working in the U.S. Uh, so I moved to Key Biscayne, rented an apartment in Key Colony, opened an office in Brickell Key, started importing Argentinian beef, got a warehouse in New Jersey, started storing it there and distributing in all the Northeast. Uh, and I remember for a few years, my life was about doing all the logistics, the imports, but also the sales. I would walk the streets of New York with a cooler with steaks, have sales calls with chefs, uh, present our Argentinian steaks, show them how to cook it, any given day, I would have three, four sales calls. I would eat three, four steaks in any given day. Uh, so <laughs> that was my life for a few years. That's that's very cool. Um, 
you so you worked here in Miami. You had a storage unit in New Jersey, and you also did like meetings in New York, right? And that was like when New York was, well, was and still is. I mean, it is uh, the business city of um, of America. So was there, is there any like remarkable meetings that you can remember of you um, and your beef? I do remember one. I remember a very remarkable one. There was a retail store, it, I think it still exists, called Valducci's, Valducci's. And it was owned by Mr. Balducci. He was an Italian immigrant, and he had this incredible store, gourmet store. It was just beautiful. And um, the dream was to sell to Balducci's. If we could get our beef in Balducci's, we had made. We would have made it. It was like the big thing, right? Yeah. So I remember going to a meeting with Mr. Balducci's, and he said, "Before I buy your beef." Um, I have to see where it comes from. Take me to Argentina. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> we flew Mr. Balducci's <laughs> to Argentina. Um, and he could only be there like one or two days. It was a very short visit. And he wanted to see the source of the beef. So we flew him into Buenos Aires, which is the capital. But the cows or the steers are not in Buenos Aires. They're in the farm. So we had a, a small plane waiting in the airport just a propeller Cessna plane, nothing very sophisticated. And we flew to, uh, to a farm, a farm of one of our partner suppliers. Yeah. And we arrived very early in the morning to the farm. It was the most beautiful thing you can imagine. The sun, you know, was just coming out. Um, the, 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 the grass was uh, moist. Uh, <laughs> you, you could breathe the farm, you know, you could breathe the farm. It was alive. And, and we walked into a field and the steers were very curious. They started walking towards us. Yeah. And we were there with a, a, a gaucho, a guy who worked there on the farm. And he said, and, and, and Balducci's asked, he said, what do they eat? And the gaucho put his hand on the, on the, into the grass and it was, he pulled a piece of you know, clover, alfalfa, those are the two grasses that they eat, clover and alfalfa, that are very rich in protein. And he said, he gave to Mr. Walucci, try it. <laughs> he pulled grass from the ground and, and he showed him, he put it in his mouth. So we all started eating grass, clover and alfalfa. <laughs> it was delicious. It was delicious. So imagine that we were eating grass <laughs> with Mr. Walucci's, um, the steers were very close to us already. They're very curious animals. And then, uh, and then from there, um, you know, we spent a few hours going around and then they had prepared this amazing asado, you know, barbecue uh, under a tree. And um, when we get to the asado, I noticed something that freaked me out. So the asado was beautiful. It was in nature. The fat of the meat that was on the grill was yellow. Yellow fat is known to be cow fat. Cow meat is not high quality meat. It's low quality meat. Um, so I go to the gaucho that was making the asado and I say, why are you serving us cow meat? I mean, this is like the famous gourmet guy of New York. I want him to eat our best beef. And the guy said to me, in the farm, we all eat cow meat. The good meat is sold. 
<laughs> so I explained that to Mr. Balducci. <laughs> he was laughing a lot, and it was delicious. It was great. Um, anyway, and so if it's not cow meat, it's what meat? Steer, because the steer is the male. Is it? Um, it's it's the younger. It's much younger. The the what we eat, the animals we eat are much younger. The cows are used to produce those steers. Um, and they're much older, so they become tougher meat. So that's why. So Balducci's returned to New York, and he said, I want to feature a special with your beef. And he said, with Kobe beef, and with, I don't know, remember what other beef. And he launched his, he had a huge mail-order business. He launched a magazine that had three steaks, one with the Argentinian flag, the other one with the Japanese flag for the Kobe beef, and the, the other one, I don't remember, some Australian something. Um, so he, he, he launched these specialty beef products, and we started selling Balducci's. And you started selling to Balducci's from then on? For a while, for a while. Yeah, yeah it, didn't, it didn't last very much. Um, Argentina did not honor its sanitary commitments um, and imports from Argentina were banned again <laughs> so it lasted only a few years and then Obama brought it back right um, I think it's back now I'm not sure I'm not sure yeah <laughs> when it happened I, I left the beef business and did a few different things and then got into leadership consulting which is what I do today yeah and so so yeah walk us walk us through your introduction into consulting and your your whole journey from then to now um so i i met uh, a couple of entrepreneurs that were thinking of creating a leadership consulting firm um at a global scale so creating a large leadership consulting firm there was this one leadership consultant um, from Argentina, a guy called Fred Kaufman, who had written a book, and he had, uh, he, he, he had, you know, very good clients um, and, and a kind of a personal brand in Latin America. Um, so our, and, and he was part of the project. So the idea was to take his IP, his, you know, work, and take it into a global commercial platform. So that was the idea. And it was a project I, I knew nothing about leadership consulting. Um, I was invited into you know to partner, be a founding partner in the project because of my background as an entrepreneur. And uh, little did I know that um, I would end up doing this for the rest of my life. This was about 18 years ago, and I'm still doing it, and it's probably what I will continue doing until I retire. So that's how I got into it. I I didn't really know what it was about. Um, I, I had I had kind of the the idea that it would be very interesting because it's working on the human side of organizations, on you know the human systems in a way how people interact with each other. Um, why does one organization bring the best out of people? Bring the creativity, innovation, uh, passion, and other organizations are flat. You know. Um, why does that happen? What what creates a spark in an organization for for things to to flower to become exciting? Um, so so I, I had that idea, no? I, I didn't know what it was about, and um, 
and I've been doing it for 18 years and I love it. And and well, the, the, the part that I feel like we've been kind of building up to, the part that intrigues me the most is, is I mean, it's a big, it's a big step going from, well, you, you, you did it for a long time, but you went from being, um, well, you were a co-founder, hmm. but you weren't at the top level and you went from working for somebody else to starting your own firm in a world where there's these like worldwide firms that you have to compete against like how did you make that leap there there, there, there was an intermediate step which was after my beef business internet started exploding in the late you know uh 90s and um Everybody was moving into, you know, the dot-com world. Everybody was moving into the dot-com world. And uh, I became a dot-com entrepreneur. Well, what does that mean? I, I had an idea of a business model. It was online advertising, which today is common. We all know it. We all use it. Um, companies are worth billions doing that. Uh, ours didn't work out very well. Um, what was happening in that time was this was it was like a gold rush literally like a gold rush it was this new area that had tremendous potential but very few people really understood what it was about and what and how to be successful in it you know um amazon was starting at that time as a bookstore i mean you look at amazon today it's an empire but it was it was an online bookstore um eBay had just started um, so you know we were it, it, it took us a few minutes to connect online you had a modem that would do all kinds of weird sounds like and you would be there thinking oh my god am I gonna get into the internet I'm in <laughs> so you can imagine the speed of the technology I mean <laughs> it was really bad so we had this idea of online advertising and um, we had conversations with many investors and we found investors that loved the idea. And we raised a few million dollars and opened our company in Mexico, in Brazil, in Argentina, headquartered in Miami. Um, and we were off to a great start. We were off to a great start. Um, and, and, you know, what what happened from there on was um to make a long story short uh the company lasted two years um year one we built the company we kind of put the infrastructure the people the offices everything that needed to servers everything that needed to be there the the funding the investment year two we went out into the market we only sold $10,000 in the whole year. We had like 60 employees. Um, and, um, and, and we couldn't get more investment to continue the company. It was a moment where, uh, you may have heard, the internet bubble burst. Um, so the market dried up. Investors, you know, uh, there was a correction, which was investors went from just throwing money at entrepreneurs to putting the foot on the brake and saying we have to learn how to do these investments so the bubble burst um, and then 
from that moment on so at that point we had to close shut down our company which was which was a very difficult experience i mean shutting down a co- failing at that scale uh calling the investor saying i'm sorry you lost your millions um um losing my own money i had put in you know significant amount of of my own money too it, it was it was very hard uh sitting down with all the employees in three different countries explaining to them that we had failed um that that was i i remember wanting to stay in bed crying all day i mean literally and, and not being able to do it because i had to go out there to talk to people and apologize to them and explain to them and uh we owed people money and i would sat down with every person and said okay we don't have money for this we have uh we have a few servers uh you can value these servers in x amount of dollars would you take them and we paid off every debt we you know we we really closed everything down very very well um I, but it was very difficult it was very difficult and marco to connect the dots that that failure kind of gave me the the sense of uh of a bigger stage you know how the world of venture capitalist works which you know for our uh, leadership consulting firm we raised about five million dollars so i had had s- I, i wasn't the one raising the money at that stage but i understood how that worked you know um i had made deals with companies partnerships um so that gave me a lot of experience so failures in the moment are extremely painful um a, a long time later they are extremely valuable so would you say that failures if you learn from them are could be a determinant of success in the long run absolutely absolutely i mean it's very few people that get it right the first time you know the mark yeah. zuckerberg's bill gates i mean they dropped out of harvard and they became billionaires two years later that, that that's the exception most people um try fail try fail try fail and if you stick to it i remember reading about the the history of walt disney he visited i think 300 banks before he got a bank that said okay i'll invest in your crazy idea to open parks in the middle of nowhere i mean literally imagine visiting 300 banks Yeah, being rejected 300 times most people after being rejected five times they would say this idea won't work you know so failure for me is is the best training it's the best training and and y- our, our our culture in a way condemns it or makes it look like even when i share with you that i failed i, I feel kind of embarrassed you know um because it's a conditioning of our culture if, if you if you fail you are a failure you are a failure it's kind of an identity thing and the reality is you have to go through those iterations to learn H- how how else will you learn you know how do you develop a muscle if you don't stretch it a little and and feel the pain yeah uh, i i feel like that goes back to what you said about like the fear of uh, wasting time and like it's n- it's like obviously like there's like a certain like embarrassment and like shame and failure of like not not succeeding but i feel like a lot of people just if they if they think they're gonna fail they're like oh that's a waste of time so might as well just save that time but they they don't acknowledge what you just said that like that's that time is not wasted like that's a that's an idea like that it's um 
that the, the, the failure isn't time well spent. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, well, on one hand, you know, it may feel like a waste of time. On the other hand, it, um, it hurts your identity in a way. It's because you start seeing yourself as the person who failed, a failure. And you stand in front of others who are successful and you feel less. And you feel that they are seeing you as less. So there's this whole social conditioning of what failure means. Um, you know, I, I remember, uh, Mar Marco, when you said you're taking a semester off and, and you know, and you, and you want to choose a new school and you're not going back to your old school. Um, I, I was thinking, and what if he fails? And what if he doesn't get into the new school, you know? And what if? And what if he fails? And yeah, that was a very courageous move, you know, because I, I think when we make choices that align with who we are, that have kind of the the integrity of this is this is what where my heart is this is where my passion is um, those are decisions that are worth failing at you know those are decisions that are worth failing at and uh, you didn't fail everything went very well for you um, and if you had failed it would have not been a failure because it would have just been the path to find uh, what you were looking for yeah and 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 I, I appreciate your I really appreciate all your support throughout that whole thing and like even you you uh, although you were apprehensive at first like definitely over time you you were like yeah like even because I, I let you know like hey like I only applied to one school like obviously I I, th I'm, I think I can get in but at the same time you know you never know what's gonna happen so I was like there's a chance I take another gap semester and apply to more schools um and and what you were saying about that what if what if and like uh, about something that's worth failing at like that's the whole conversation that we had when i was deciding to what to dedicate my well not necessarily dedicate my life to but what career path i was going to take in my college study plan and it was junior year and we started listing all the reasons as to why I wouldn't pursue uh, filmmaking or just a creative um, endeavor. And th the question that landed up on the center of the page was like, what if, what if I fail or like, what if it doesn't work out? What if it, do yeah, that's, that's exactly what it is. What if it doesn't work out? That was the title of the essay. That what if a, it doesn't yeah, work that out? That was the title of my common app essay. What, what if it doesn't work out? And that was kind of the theme that we were going on. But at the end of that conversation, we were both laughing because it was very clear to both of us that, like, it's so worth failing at. Like, it's so worth failing at. But look at that question and how we make decisions in life. What if it doesn't work out? The question of what if it doesn't work out, how many decisions do we make seeking safety? Because we, ask, we say, what if it doesn't work out? So let's choose something safe. And by choosing something safe, um, in a way, we believe it is safer. We believe it is safer, but it doesn't really just, you know, uh, it doesn't really align with who you are. It, it's, it al you always fall short of, you know, of, of what's possible for you. Mm -hmm. So in a way, by choosing what's safe, 
you're, you're kind of cooperating with some level of failure. Yeah, and, and I feel like the the going with something safe is kind of is kind of a person um, doing everything they in their power to to like create their own reality and like neglect or not necessarily create their own reality, but they they're so afraid of failure and like they're so afraid of not knowing what's gonna happen that they're more comfortable just saying like oh i'm probably gonna fail and you get convinced of that and then you're just like that becomes like your own personal little fact but i feel a big because the person isn't doesn't feel like they're ready to see the reality of it and the reality in some cases might be predicted by her preconceived ideas like she might end up failing at the thing she said she was gonna fail at but um yeah she's trying to like keep the power in her hands like she doesn't want it to play out because then it becomes real hmm. how how is it for you ec in these types of decisions i i'm a big well that's a good question i think i usually like to get out of my comfort zone when it comes to these ty types of situations i don't really like the safety for me is like almost conforming and I don't I don't really like that because I mean I know I have a potential to do something so the fact that like choosing safety sometimes it's like necessary but other times I feel like it's just putting you back and I I just have to really think critically like right now for example I'm gonna be taking classes at Miami-Dade College because um well Michigan like closed down for the second semester so I'm staying here and that was like a judgment call for me and I thought about it a lot because I didn't know if I should stay here you know like save some money maybe like start a project on my own like with free time or something or rent an apartment at Michigan and just continue to do everything how it was and I mean, I, I eventually decided to stay here and in my time here, I'm definitely going to try to like do something with the time that I that I have. Not not because like not to waste time, because like, as we said, that's kind of like a box that we're put in not to waste time, but because I'm going to have it's more to like seize the opportunity. Exactly. I want to use this opportunity that I have. I'm going to have a whole semester basically to just to myself because I don't think this semester will be too challenging for me. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what it is I'm going to do yet, but I know I, I feel like in my heart that I did the right choice and I'm going to do something about it this semester. My, my heart goes off to you. Thank you. Because... <laughs> because let, let, let me I mean I'll, 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 I'll share you know what what resonates with me or what you're saying um, you know in this paradigm of let's not waste time let's be productive all the time putting the foot on the brake and saying I'm going to open space for something really cool to emerge and this is a good moment for it it doesn't mean you do it all your life there are moments to put the foot on the brake and open up space for something to emerge 
that thing that's going to emerge for you and let's I want to hear a podcast podcast after the semester that <laughs> thing that's going to emerge for you which will be very cool could only have been emerged because uh, you open because 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 you had the maturity to say I'm going to do this you know um, and, and I'll give you an example when Marco said he would take off a gap semester uh, my wife mainly started saying you have to get a job you have to get a job what are you going to do let me talk to people let me do you want to tell that story well it's not really a story but it's like every day she was like hey i downloaded two audiobooks that i i really want you to listen i think you'd love them next day hey like there's this like master class that i think we should take together i think it's awesome <laughs> we should take together um hey i found this that you should that you should you should call this guy to see if you can get a class with him it was like every day she had a new thing for me to do and at one point i was like mommy like i appreciate you so much for like doing all this for me and bringing me all these options and opportunities but like please chill because like i can't i can't like handle all this and like i don't even know <laughs> like it's just like it was like a lot of like mental clutter when she just bring up new ideas every day but i was just trying to like find my own foot footing yeah and 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 the fact that you remained in your integrity of i'm not going to fill up my time with stuff just to fill up my time with stuff um that's when this opportunity came up to make the music video for for that band and at that moment you know the opportunity came up and you had free time because you had been protecting your free time for the right opportunity I wanna I wanna share like a quick little anecdote about like when we got that opportunity, like when when we right when we started like drawing up concepts and listening to the songs. Uh, so Sebastian and I, Sebastian was working for I forgot what the company's called, but it was like an online job at his house where he didn't have to do much, but he had to he basically just had to sit on the computer all day, and when and it, he could not have work for three hours and then somebody pops into the chat room it was like kind of like he's like an online assistant for a company um and the first day we started drawing up concepts he was working but like obviously like i said he doesn't always have to work and i asked him like, oh how long how much longer do you plan to work and then he's like oh till december and i was just kind of like uh like what do you mean because we had just committed to making four music videos for this guy uh, the end result ended up being one because we never made a music video before. We didn't know how long it would take. But I was like, how? Like, I, it just didn't make sense to me. I'm like, you. I, I was like, you gotta commit to one or the other. Like, you can't really do both, a hundred percent. And thank God he got fired like a week later <laughs> for for a bullshit reason. I, like, didn't deserve to get fired, but like. I was so happy when he got fired because I'm like, finally, we can just get to work. <laughs> and if he wouldn't have gotten fired, the music video definitely wouldn't have been as awesome as it was. So, so let me ask you guys a question. So you, you started, you know, this uh, podcast, Marco introducing me and saying um, that, you know, I have a really cool job because it gives me a lot of freedom, etc. Um, and... You know, you guys are, are preparing for your professional lives. Um, how, if, if you can design the type of, 
professional experience you want to have what does it look like and i invite you to go all out all right well don't mind if i do um i think preferably my professional life could be like handled like wherever in the world you know so i could travel the world because that's one of my aspirations and if i can like do my job and make money while i travel the world that's just a win-win situation so um i don't know i i I feel like it wouldn't have to consist of um like working with people and even if it did it would be like in an online setting or meeting people in different parts of the world um i'm not sure yet exactly what i want to do i just know i want the like the option to express myself creatively and and yeah i mean just to be able to do things that i want without having a limitation as to oh you can't do this because it's not in the rules or whatever and yeah i mean that's that's pretty much it i i still have to to visualize it a lot more because i haven't really thought about it that much but but it's what's really cool of what you're saying easy is you have a lot of clarity of what the experience is or will be at the feeling level right yes you have the freedom to travel the world you have the freedom to work remotely you don't need to be in person with people um you can connect you can work in a networked way um you have the freedom to choose how how you use your time um having that clarity is key is key and and there are many things you can do in that format and and actually the world is moving towards that format yeah so it is totally possible so don't settle for an inch less than that that sounds good thank you (laughs) um for me my ideal scenario uh, well like i want to be a movie screenwriter and director but at the same time i just want to be like a creative like i mean in in the creative world they're called creatives they're kind of just like creative directors and it's that's i want to get to the point in my career where i i infiltrated like the the world of art and the world of entertainment uh the world of just like creatives and I want to meet as many people as possible to the point in my career where I can like literally just like if it's a new month, I can choose a new thing to do or like I get invited onto new things. Like one day I'm going to be friends with, let's say, Kanye. And he's like, hey, I'm making a new line. I want I want your touch on my new line. Come work with me. Uh, I'm going to be friends with Benny Blanco. He's like, hey, I have a a great idea for a song i think you should get on it i don't play any instruments but i think like i just want to be there to just collaborate in as many different mediums and art forms as possible like i want to get into fashion i want to get into literally anything that i can get a taste of and i want to give like give my give like try my hand at that like i want to i want to have that opportunity so i want to get to the point where 
those opportunities come knocking at my door and 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 if you commit to that they will so you know maybe maybe it takes a few years maybe it takes a few failures maybe it takes a few rejections mm -hmm. uh, but if you commit to that it, it it's inevitable because committing to that means that you have that you develop enormous creativity and clarity of what is it that you bring into all of those projects be it fashion film brands whatever music um, you know you'll 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 become if, if you totally commit you'll become super clear about what is it what's the flavor that you bring into all of that that is unique to you that is Marco mm -hmm. and that will be so clear so clear and so good that there will be a market for that and you'll have a ton of demand for that mm -hmm. Yeah, and well, I mean, w w w when I said Kanye and Benny Blanco, I don't mean that like I'm I'm only looking to work with like the top people in the industry. Uh, those are just two of my two two people I look up to. But it, it, at any level of of the industry, I'm I, I want to work with people at at, at every level. Um, yeah, that's, that's very cool. That's my. Um, do you have anything left to say? because I, I think we're coming to an end. No, just really thank you guys. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. I, I feel that um, y you know, I feel we're all in this space of these boxes and you know, the world is changing and I think the boxes don't change fast enough. Um, but but I can see in you guys that that you have the you know you 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 have the clarity to see those boxes and and the clarity to to commit to what you want and and that's very inspiring to me it's very inspiring I always tell Marco it took me probably I don't know uh, maybe 15 20 years to find what I really love to do and um, from like when as an adult like from your adulthood yeah 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 mm -hmm. yeah yeah from when i you know finished school or university um i tried many different things because because i was i you know i was trying to fit in a box in many ways i, I was taking risks i was doing many things um i was going through my you know failures and learnings um but but it, it took me it took me time it took me time I see a different mindset. I see a mindset in you guys that I believe will shorten that time for you. It will shorten that time. Uh, I see a, you know, a commitment and integrity to being yourselves that um, that will make it will make it a, a a better path. You know, it will make it a better path to the one I had, which was a little bumpy at some points. Um, so, so I just want to share that and thank you very much. No, thank you so much. Um, do you have anything? No, yeah, I just want to say thank you for coming on the show and sharing your experience and your wisdom that I'm sure will help guide a lot of, of our friends and whoever's listening to this. They'll definitely be inspired by what you've said. Um, would you like to give us a uh, movie? We do a thing called movie of the day. So, uh, any movie you'd like to recommend? 
It could be your favorite movie. It could be something you just saw. Oh, movie of the day. And uh, you choose a song of the day. My favorite movie. Um, I, I just have a movie in my mind that's a movie I saw yesterday. And I have it very present because it's the movie I just saw. And I thought it was really good and hilarious. I, I'm not very good with names of movies. I, I think it's called The Trial of the Chicago 7. It's on Netflix. The Trial of the Chicago 7. And it's uh, th there's two reasons why I think it's a really good movie. W one, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a real story of you know real facts um that happened in a protest during war during the vietnam war of young people that were protesting against um you know the 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 recruiting of young people to go and die in vietnam you know just thousands of thousands were dying uh, every month in vietnam and they were recruiting kids your age to go there and die and and there was people that were very passionate about protesting on that and the whole movie is about um, a trial to the folks who protested and and I thought it was a really good movie for a couple of different reasons one is it's made in a very unique way and it's very funny very funny so you'll enjoy it and two it's very appropriate uh, for what happened uh, this last week in the in the capital with the protests there, there's a lot of parallelisms that you'll be able to see between what happened at that time and what happened last week. So that's my recommendation. Thank you. And uh, for the song of the day, I'm going to plug in the song called Sonate Pacifique by um, this French band called L'Impatrice. I don't know if I pronounced it correctly, but um, it's like this French band. It's basically like a modern day symphony, I, I guess. Um, it's it's very it's a very good song I, I recommend it highly um any last words all right so thank you for joining us at let's talk <laughs> <laughs>